Hello and welcome to Becoming Educated. I'm Darren Leslie. Can I start this week by saying a massive thank you to everyone that listens to this podcast. I am constantly blown away by the support and I look forward to sharing more and more in the coming months and years. Now let's get back to this week's episode. This week I am joined by Alex Gordon. Alex is Assistant Principal of Teaching and Learning at Chingford Foundation School, the school he went to as a student. And we discuss how Alex has taken the school on an evidence-informed journey. We discuss the following and so much more. What Alex has been doing to take his school on their evidence-informed journey. How he went about refreshing his school's pedagogical principles. His five-strand interconnected model for professional development. How he shares best practice in his school. I love talking to Alex about how he leads teaching and learning and he shared so much gold for teaching and learning leads. So let's dive right in to my conversation with Alex Gordon. Thank you so much for joining me on Becoming Educated this evening. How are you? I'm great, thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be on the the show this evening. Thank you. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been, as we discussed off air, I think I, I asked you to come on the show about a year ago. So it's brilliant to finally um, to meet you online and, and start this conversation today because there's so much work that you've done and kindly shared on on social media, which I'd love to unpick today. Um, so before we do that, this will be the second episode of the Teaching and Learning Lead series. And before we kind of dig into you and your role, can you tell us a little bit about you and how you've came to your current role? Of course, yeah. So um, growing up really teaching was like, I don't want to say it's my blood, but it was kind of in some ways a destiny to become a teacher because my mum's currently a PE teacher and has been for a number of years. And my dad is a business manager at a local secondary school as well. Um, so kind of my pathway, I suppose, was almost chosen for me by their uh, two professions as well. And growing up through secondary school, um, I had a number of leadership opportunities that gave me great experience in front of kind of groups of students and, and adults as well. And talking in that kind of environment, whether that was sports leadership opportunities, um, I was head boy in a sixth form as well. And also spent two summers in Camp America teaching tennis to um, young children in America as well. So um, I've always enjoyed being in front of a group of groups of people and, and teaching and leading in that aspect as well. Um, I went to the University of Sheffield and studied history there for three years. Um, and then obviously did my teaching qualification in Sheffield as well in the fourth year. Um, and it was the PGDE programme, which meant I could get my master's at the same time as doing my teaching qualification um, as well. But I absolutely loved my time up in Sheffield and, and learned a huge amount at the, the two schools um, I uh, trained in there, King Edward School uh, and Tapton School up there as well. Then um, I came back down to London um, and I've been at Chinkford Foundation School for six years. And that is a school I went to as a student as well. So I'm one of those teachers that has come back full circle, really. And I was teaching at the same school. Um, also, in my second year at Chinkford, um, I was made the assistant head of sixth form. Um, and I held that post for three years before coming the teacher learn lead across the whole school. Um, and now in my sixth year of teaching, I'm now teaching learning assistant principal um, on leadership, really. And this is kind of my, my dream role. It's the, the role I've always wanted to do when it comes to teaching. Um, I'm just really fortunate it's come up, I suppose, so early in my career and I can really get in my teeth into it right now as well. Yeah, it's what a lovely story. I love that your, uh, your parents kind of 
you know, encourage you down that route. And I love that your mm-hmm. mum's a PE teacher close to my heart, of course. <laughs> um, and lovely um, that you've went back to work at the school that you went to. How have you found that, especially now that you're in such a position that you can lead change in that school? How do you find that? Yeah, initially it was quite strange because obviously I remember my first day when I uh, taught in my classroom and it was my old history classroom uh, in my A-level room. Um, and I remember standing up and talking to my first class and looking at the back of the classroom and my work was on the wall still. And that was like years had gone by and it was still there. So that was quite strange initially. And I suppose with any teacher going back to their kind of old school, it's the first kind of big thing that scale was just calling members of staff by their first name because obviously you're used to it at school having that respect and saying sir or miss um but I know gradually after a number of weeks or months it they start to see me more as a teacher member of staff um and nowadays there's still quite a lot of teachers still there that used to teach me as well um so that always brings challenge in itself but um I like to think with I suppose the way I'm at school and, and how hard I, I know I, I work at school actually that that respect now is still there and obviously they see him as a teacher now but yeah those first few months were were quite challenging interesting I suppose to say the least yeah no I told you what me and some of my friends dads were or mums were my teacher and you still want to go in and call them mm. and mess rather than they're going you do yeah <laughs> you're, you're now an adult so you can call me my, my first name now but I love that and it's looking great just imagine you standing in your classroom and looking at your own work while you're trying to teach so true yeah so true I didn't know whether to tell the students or not because I knew that their attention would have gone straight to it straight away but um, I sly, slyly kind of took it down after a few weeks I think, but yeah well, I hope you kept that as a good, good bit of memory I think for... it's somewhere in the office yeah <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. Well, we're going to dig into um, the work you do in your role as assistant principal for teaching and learning. And since September 2020, you and your school have been on a, an evidence-informed journey. Can you share with the listeners what that has involved? Of course, yeah. It, it's something that's really close to, close to me, really. It's something I'm really passionate about uh, as as much I read and share on Twitter and engage with other teachers as well. Um, from the outset, when I took on the teach learning uh, role, I, I was very adamant in my initial interview that I wanted us to go on a, an evidence-informed journey. Um, we were quite in a transition as a school, moving from obviously um, the old framework, an old way of thinking when it comes to teaching, to a, a new way, I suppose, as well, based around the evidence. Um, and I kind of said that from outside, I want leadership to stand up and our head to stand up and say we're on this evidence-informed journey. And I think it's really important that um, that is kind of driven from the top, really, and set from the outset. So staff are all aware of the process we're following. Um, and I suppose initially, when we first said that, um, I found it really important to explain the why behind it. Because um, as I'm sure you're aware and talking to other teachers, when you sometimes say the word research, there's that initial scepticism around what does it actually mean? Is it going to involve reading page and page of journals? Uh, is that going to kind of eat into my time at school? And I, I can't possibly do that and process it all. So um, I'll come on to it later on. But obviously part of our job is to make the research and evidence um, as simple and easy to follow as possible, I suppose, in the school settings to help our members of staff. Um, and although a lot of schools obviously at the moment are on this evidence informed journey and approach, we were really clear from the outset to think about those pitfalls and think about how can we overcome them or be really honest with our staff around what they may be involved. Um, and obviously it links to stuff like time restraints, the, the wealth and the volume of research that exists and what to select or choose or share of our staff. I suppose the motivation and the interest of the staff as well. Um, and I suppose also the reliability and how credible and how specific and interesting that research is and how it can be applied to their own subjects and their own teaching um, as well. So from the outset, really, we we're really conscious around that when we presented this idea of a research informed approach. 
Um, and I suppose as people maybe have seen on Twitter, um, there's a particular Venn diagram that we share quite a lot with staff around what we define as an evidence-informed practice because we've got a lot of staff in the school quite experienced and have been there for a number of years. Um, and we still want to obviously use their expertise, um, their passion, their knowledge, their ability in the classroom. Um, and also, I suppose, merged out with our own context about where we are in, in North East London as well, um, with the best available research of those best bets. So we kind of triangulate our approach um, to think about what works best for us. And I'll come to an example later on around our principles and how we use that as well. Um, and I suppose the next step on that journey was to think about, well, we we thought about the, the pitfalls and the dangers, I suppose, to standing up and saying we're on this research-informed approach. Um, but how can we actually get that buy-in straight away from staff? And why is the research so powerful and so important um, for people to think about as well? Because I didn't want this to be just like an, another fad that's passing through, really, and just a phrase that people say um, and actually we don't really come back to it or use it a lot in our approach or practice. So um, I made it my big mission initially and I still do to this day actually to kind of get out and about as much as possible to speak to staff around the school um, because I've kind of used this phrase in my, one of my blogs before but I, I do see the role of a teacher and learn lead as a salesman in some ways. Uh, we are that visual presence driving something in the school um, and we do need to be out and about talking to teachers, not hiding um, see what the school mood is like or the climate is like at, at any given moment, prompting people, looking for those volunteers and encouraging people to follow, I suppose, what we're trying to drive in our direction, um, I suppose, alongside that as well. So just some of the ways we, we looked into buying in the school, obviously the biggest one for me was explaining the why and the background behind the approach and why it was so important for us. Um, I was also really conscious from the outset that any research that we shared with staff would be down to one two pages at absolute maximum and we were not going to share loads of uh, bodies of research and journals to staff um, unless they really want to read it in their own time if they chose to as well. Um, also found it really important to simply listen to staff and obviously what um, lockdowns gave us I suppose is, a, is another model of CPD we have moved obviously more online in terms of our CPD programs and I know that's gone down really well with staff uh, and although we are kind of going back towards that more face-to-face -face model, still thinking about all those positives we looked at during lockdown that might help us in the future when it comes to sharing research and the approach that we've taken uh, as well. And then the final thing around buying, obviously, is around, for me, having no surprises, but communicating things to staff really, really early or as early as you possibly can um, and think about how does this research, how does this um, informed approach support workload and how do we train staff to follow that kind of um, message and how can it help them most? So, all of that for us was vitally important as we kind of set out on this journey and thought about what we could do. In terms of just some really small practical examples, I'll say at this stage really, for us, the research informed Germany can best be shown by the research guys that are put together each half term. Um, and I've shared all of these on Twitter that probably people have seen on there as well. And as I'll come to you later on, we have our pedagogical principles that form the basis of our half term focus when it comes to CPD. And each half term, um, I put together a research guide that's one, two pages long. And it's a, a useful, short, effective summary of, I suppose, the research that exists around a, a particular pedagogical area um, as well. Um, and that kind of underpins what we do in a half term. And I think that's really, really powerful um, to share with staff. And alongside that, when we share the research guide, I also put together a, a pre-recorded video, which I'm adamant never goes beyond 15 minutes. Um, and what I find that's really useful is that the research guide might be two pages long and might have a lot of information to read. But by having a pre-recorded video, I can kind of sometimes go beyond that and explain it a little bit more detail as opposed to seeing it on the page. Um, and that comes hand in hand with a Microsoft Forms that staff fill out as reflection 
afterwards for their key takeaways alongside that as well. So I can kind of really see throughout a year uh, where staff have understood certain aspects of the research based around our focus and maybe where more information needs to be shared with them as we go throughout the year um, also. The final point I say on that is that this year um, outside my office, I've put together a teach and learn display which for me kind of supports the idea of communication. So our focus is clear on there each half term. Our CPD um, each Wednesday is on there for staff to see as they walk past on a whiteboard that I can just change each week. Um, and all our key information documents are visual for staff to see in the staff corridor. And then finally, we have a, obviously a CPD library, um, which we started this year. Um, that's currently in my office, but obviously we've got plans in the future to maybe put that something a bit more central in the staff room. Um, and we regularly purchase books. I think we're up to about about 30 books in there at the moment and staff can take them whenever they want to uh, and that informs their practice and their own reading maybe um, alongside that as well. So um, we're very much at the start of our research informed journey. It's probably our first year or second year on it and um, we know this will take a number of years to embed properly in the school. Um, but I suppose at the moment we're very happy with the direction it's going um, but obviously a lot more work to do in the future as well. There's certainly so much in there and I love how you kept coming back to this idea of explaining the why and this over-communication. I mean, even in that last example, you see it there about research guys linked to work on that half-term with pre-recorded videos and forms for reflection that you can take in and even going right through to the teaching learning display kind of goes back to what you said earlier on about the teaching and learning lead being a salesman. I really like that analogy because I've certainly found that myself in my own role that you know, when you're going around your nudging nudging people in the right way and you're asking oh, did you take anything away from that last session that you said if you tried anything that would be great would you be willing to share that with someone you know yeah. all that I totally agree yeah and the biggest thing so the biggest thing at the moment around that is we've this year uh, bought every member of staff a visualizer to use and there wasn't really a culture in the school of actually staff using that previously. So um, also mini whiteboards we're starting to use a lot more in the school as well. And we've bought some more for staff to use. So at the moment for me, it's around trying to uh, explain why visualizers obviously so powerful and a great teaching tool and trying to get as many staff using that as possible. So it never really stops on a day-to-day basis how much you sell and um, what you're trying to get out in the school. No, it's great. And as you're kind of getting those willing volunteers and they're sharing their practice, we're going to come to a little bit they're on and sharing practice and as they're sharing it you'll have a couple of people going oh I'd like to use that I can remember back earlier in the term we did one on using a visualizer and we had loads of staff there just for a 15 minutes at lunch and then at the end of it we, our orders for visualizers just went up and people started using them and then it just creates that little bit of buzz around teaching and learning was that, that really helps kind of generate really good conversation so you mentioned in there um a little bit about your pedagogical principles. So you refresh your school pedagogical principles. How did you go about uh, doing that? And can I ask you to share where you are now with them? Of course, yeah. Um, Again, when we first started this process and I initially looked at our teaching learning policy a few years ago, our principles were kind of embedded within that policy, which um, involved, I suppose, around 20 to 30 different points. It was a, a number of pages and I'm reading it thinking um, this isn't really shared readily around the school. I doubt staff have really read it properly. So one of my first initial challenge, I suppose, is thinking about how can we establish a collective framework across the school of what we define as effective or high quality teaching, I suppose. And it took me a long time, I suppose, to work out the best way to do this and the best way to use our expertise in school, because I was very conscious I didn't want this to be me telling staff, here's a set of principles to follow. And actually, I wanted that collective buy-in 
amongst all members of staff in a school for most experienced down to our NQTs, obviously it was at the time as well. So we start initially by kind of explaining to the staff body, this is the process we want to follow. Um, and for me, I'm a, I'm a massively strong believer in whole school frameworks, supporting outcomes, um, but also ensuring that staff still have autonomy, autonomy within that framework as well. Um, and so we said to staff, this will clear time and space for you. It gives you something to fall back on in the classroom. It will ensure consistency across all the classrooms in our school. It'll also remove obstacles. So it's one small thing for you lot to think about. You can focus on your teaching in the classroom as well. Um, and also once it's embedded and set in our routines, it can make sure that every minute counts and make sure lessons are as productive as possible because we all follow the same pathway and same approach. So initially, um, my plan was to put together a teach learning council or a working group, as some other school, schools call it as well. And with that teacher on the council, I didn't want to be prescriptive or selective. I wanted to open out to as many people in the staff body as possible. Um, and all we just simply asked was a small 250 word expression of interest. Um, the reason being, I wanted to see kind of the passion of those staff members and why they want to be involved and what they've done previously as well. Um, and we actually, we had um, a number of applicants. We ended up with 12 people on this teacher on the council. And that ranged from my most experienced head department down to an NQT who just joined us in the English department as well. So a full range, I suppose, of experience and, and knowledge within that teacher learning council. Um, all we said to them is that we want to see a willingness for you to lead, to learn, I suppose, um, to develop your own practice, but to be enthusiastic around teaching and learning and create a real buzz in the school um, alongside that as well. In our first meeting, I, I shared with them around a five step process that we're going to follow to um, put these principles together. So the first step was called um, purpose and relevance, I suppose. Um, and we explored in more detail, I suppose, why is a whole school framework so powerful and needed? Um, and for me, the most powerful argument is that obviously our young children's school, um, with everything that's happening in the world today, if they come to school and have five different sets of rules in five different classrooms, it's going to massively overwhelm them. And that's going to impact the learning they can do. So we try to get to the point where actually every lesson is as similar and consistent as possible without taking away how specific each subject is in the content they deliver. Um, so we thought that's so powerful to share with staff from the outset. We're almost trying to help you here by putting this together. The second section then was a research and discussion, um, which is a section I think I, I enjoyed the most really in our initial meetings. And we looked at a number of different examples of different schools um, and what the research said around uh, a principle was kind of for teacher learning. Uh, Rose and Shine played obviously a massive part for us in the early stage. We'd been reading that anyway beforehand. Um, but we also looked at examples such as the seven principles at West London Free School. We looked at the um, EDI framework, Forest Gates, another example. Uh, and we looked at what other schools had done and mapped together. But obviously we're very conscious this is our own principles. Our own context had to be so powerful and so important as well. The third part then was the creation and analysis stage. So I simply said to the 12 members, and I didn't want this to be like everyone talking over each other in a meeting. Um, I basically gave them three questions. So I said, what must be included in our principles? What would you like to see included? And what should not be included? Um, and it's really interesting, actually, to compare a lot of the answers. And essentially, the answers of those three questions formed heavily the basis of our initial first draft of what the principles maybe were. The fourth section um, was around the, the, the design and the components alongside that as well. Um, so we essentially settled on eight components, um, which we identified uh, with our staff experience and the research and collaboration were common features that typically produce high quality teaching. And we didn't want them to be prescriptive. 
we said actually every lesson maybe won't see all eight components, but they're going to underpin everything we do moving forward around CPD and our meetings alongside that as well. Um, the design part actually was, again, quite tricky because everyone's got different viewpoints around how we should structure this and what it should look like. We end up going down a road of almost like a building block style function with eight components. But again, I, I was very, I suppose, um, for, to me, it was really important that these principles weren't just listed, but a little explanation next to them and actually what it could look like, I suppose, in the classroom. Um, so we end up we set with eight components. Um, and I think one small example of our research informed approach is to actually we wanted to make certain areas really explicit that maybe weren't explicit within Rosenshine and other examples. So, for example, literature and reading or metacognition. And we thought actually that's really powerful for our students in our school. We had to make that really clear within the principles. So um, we ended up with retrieval and retention as our first one, uh, purpose and sequencing, high expectations and communication, knowledge and deliberate practice, modelling and questioning, literacy and reading, metacognition and self-regulation, feedback and review. Um, and what's kind of implied within that is that they kind of do go in a lesson style structure order. Um, which in some ways was kind of deliberate um, as well to help staff navigate their way through because we want this to be used as a planning tool um, alongside that as well. Um, and we actually went to a little period of consultation with staff where we actually sent this out in advance and got some staff feedback as well before we formally launched this, I suppose, at the start of this academic year um, as well. So that's kind of set the moment. A lot of our work this year, uh, like kind of our one big teaching own focus is embedding this with everything we do and we know this game won't take one year it will take a number of years to do that as well um but for me it's really powerful to kind of use these terms and try and promote this idea of a shared language so we're all using these terms as much as possible and all have awareness and knowledge of them itself and it links very heavily to our kind of code of conduct we have for expectations in the classroom because for retrieval and retention it talks about having a retrieval starter on the board as students enter and that's kind of seen as well in our code of conduct. Now we start our lessons as well. So um, for us, the principles, I think, are really powerful to underpin our practice. Um, but again, we're aware it's very much a, a year on year process as we carry on to um, embed this and share more research based around those eight principles um, as well. But now that conversations that you must have had with those 12 staff must have been absolutely fantastic. Um, when I want to ask you, did you find that as you were discussing these things, these 12 people were going back to their departments and then coming back to the discussion again. And each time the discussion was getting richer and, and fuller and kind of taking shape, you find it kind of your eight components fell, fell in quite naturally over time. Um, I'd say they did actually. And what was really interesting is when we had the discussions, it, it was during lockdown. So a lot of our meetings were on teams. So you can imagine how you're trying to chair a meeting with 12 people on teams don't want to talk at a similar time. So a lot of our meetings went along and I suppose than were anticipated really. Um, but yeah, when a lot of teachers spoke to departments, a, a lot of their discussions influenced heavily the descriptions that we wrote alongside the principals. There, there was quite quick um, agreement, I suppose, on the principals themselves um, as we went worked our way through. Um, it was then the description next to it about how we should word it. Um, and actually, in some cases, when it comes to a compromise, but there were some members of staff who wanted it to be written in terms of a question to support self-reflection of staff and their planning. And some members of staff who wanted to be written as like just sentence. So provide this or explain this. Um, in actual case, we are doing both. So we've got one set of principles, which is um, a statement based approach. And then we've got a guidance questions prompt sheet, which goes alongside that as well. So staff kind of got both alongside that to really support them um, in their plan as well. So when we have our half term focus based around these, um, we use aspects of both the question sheet and the statement sheet and share them both with staff as well. Um, and it's been really interesting how staff use both of those documents to really support them 
um, alongside that as well. So, um, yeah, I'll come on and talk more about the focus, I suppose, in the next question around our, our professional development model. Um, but yeah, this is the idea, I suppose, of using these principles. It, it gives us something to fall back on, the framework that we can use in our meetings um, to really discuss collectively. Um, and actually, it's something that we all understand at the moment or begin to more understand as we go throughout the year um, alongside that as well. And what you found actually is a lot of staff, a lot of these terms are quite new. We're going through a transition and introducing a lot of these concepts to staff was um, maybe not the first time they've heard of it, but maybe the explanations was the first time they've heard of it, maybe. So again, it's been really powerful actually talking to staff. And as they've gone away and tried things out or spoke to their departments, and they've come back to us having those really strong discussions around next steps and how can we use these more within our, our frameworks at the moment. So yeah, it's been a really interesting journey so far. And I suppose I'm looking forward to where it will go next with uh, keeping to embed these in school. No, certainly. I love how it gives us that, that shared language. So whether you're talking with the art department or the English department, you've got a shared language around your teaching and learning that you can all hang your hat on and, and share practice and find common ground and so on. And it keeps the conversation on the main thing, which I just love that. And you meant, you alluded to there, your professional learn, learning and development model. So you, can you share a little bit with us about your five-strand interconnected model for professional development? Yeah, and this is like very different and I suppose a little bit radical compared to what we've had in the past, really. Um, I know obviously a number of schools where they did a bit of research around this follow kind of the free and laid model around whole school department individuals. Um, for us, we kind of feel like this five-strand model works a little bit better. Um, and we're very honest with staff from the outset that we're putting this forward this year but we know it's going to be another year on year process to kind of perfect this and get this right really and make sure all these points are being used. So um, this kind of came about through a staff survey at the end of last year when we obviously we finished um, lockdown, I suppose, in some ways. And we said to staff, what's been really powerful and what have you really enjoyed at the moment? Because we want to get a definition around what is CPD to us, I suppose. Um, and within kind of a number of its statements, CPD really came down to five key phrases or keywords for us that we share with staff. So the first one is that, improving student outcomes. I mean, the second one is around uh, a collective set of whole school priorities that we focus our attention on. The third one is about uh, building and enhancing our knowledge um, as kind of experts in the classroom. The fourth one is around being evidence informed in terms of our approaches. And the fifth one is making sure time is put aside for collaboration um, amongst our staff body as well. So we kind of had that, this is what CPD is to us as a real background and focus. Then when we looked at our five-strand model, I wanted something really clear and, and straightforward for staff to understand around this is our CPD model in our school and this is what we follow. Um, and so for us, really, if I had to summarise it in kind of a sentence, the five-strand approach really is, is a whole school approach, but it balances our school priorities with choice. And we're really, really um, clear with staff that although there'll be some prescriptive elements to this model, because we have to, we've got these priorities we want to collectively um, drive towards, um, we also want to make sure that we're taking care of the individual development of each staff member in our school. So we put choice and autonomy at the core of our offer as well as part of one of the strands. Um, so strand one for us is all around the whole school, the trust level um, approach. And that starts with the pedagogical principles. So out of the eight components we just spoke about in our principles, uh, we put them down to the six half terms and we have uh, one kind of focus in each half term. With eight down to six, obviously two of the principles has to be blended to make an approach. But we said each half term is a way to embed the principles. We're going to focus on this one area in our CPD and meeting structures. Um, and obviously we're going through that process uh, right now as well. 
Um, our second part in strand one uh, is our subject knowledge and the pedagogy department CPD, um, which I did take in kind of inspiration from from Jade Pierce and the work she does at her school. Um, but we're really clear with staff that we will put aside two department meetings a half term um, for them, whatever the program, whatever the, the structure in terms of the meeting that given moment is. Um, and we see those sessions as a way to empower our middle leaders to deliver CPD around their departmental priorities. Um, but also to help improve the, and support the knowledge they have in their department as well. So we do kind of give quite a lot of free license to HODs to plan those sessions themselves. Um, they do work very closely with line managers around actually what's the best thing to do at a given moment. Um, but that might be discussions around our principles. So whatever the half-term focus is at the moment, having a departmental reflection discussion based on that principle and how well, I suppose, they are with that. Um, it may be around simple subject knowledge uh, and improving that. Um, it might be external training opportunities. It might be curriculum discussions because we've done a lot of work this year of our HODs around uh, streamlining and ensuring consistency around our curriculum documentation. So we ask all subjects to have uh, one curriculum map um, which has links and across curricular links within that curriculum map. Uh, they have a visual learning journey that they share with students and they have an endpoint document which by the end of each year in key stage, what should students be able to do in their subjects? Um, so we spend quite a lot of time this year giving HODs time to put that together, but also they need time to speak to the departments as well to delegate and support and distribute that curriculum leadership as well. The final part in strand one, um, one of our big focuses this year is around SEN students uh, and SEN teaching. Um, so our SENCO leads an inclusion training pathway, um, which involves um, I believe five or six sessions across the whole year where she leads that with the teachers to really support their work, SEN teaching as well. That's a massive priority and focus for us this year um, as well. Strand two then is the kind of choice optional developmental pathway. Um, the first part is the Teach Learning Council, which obviously last year put together the pedagogical principles. The plans we have for the council moving forward, um, and it might be the same 12, it might be a different 12 with staff leave and, and join us, is about actually taking one specific um, priority for us and putting together an action plan to support us in the future. Um, as I said, SEN is a big focus for us, but at the moment, um, formative assessment, um, as I'm sure a lot of schools, is a massive focus. It's something that we're really spending time on. So that's how we see the council moving, uh, working moving forward. The second part is the new staff induction plan, um, which very much um, it happens towards the start of the year as our new staff join us, but we want obviously to induct them in our ethos and our culture. Um, so that's a plan we put together towards the start of the year to support uh, our new staff. The third one is something we started this year, and that's our middle leaders pathway. Um, and that's based heavily um, upon the middle leadership mastery kind of uh, book by Adam Robbins. Um, and that's a brilliant read for uh, middle leaders. And actually, we have six sessions across the year led by different people in the school. Um, the first few are related to curriculum and pedagogy, and the last few are related to pastoral leadership um, and that's been really strong so far. We had about 20 members of staff in the first meeting we had. So we're going through that process now as well. The fourth part in that strand two is around sixth form teaching CPD. Um, so our head of sixth form in the leadership uh, runs three sessions across the year on specific sixth form teaching based upon our principles, um, but looks heavily at the idea of challenge and questioning, pushing sixth form students further in their learning. And then the last one is around subject leads um, meetings, which this year has involved heavily around obviously our curriculum work, um, but also around our approach to assessment as a school as well. So that's kind of strand to the optional part. Um, strand three, strand four and strand five actually are ones that we're working quite heavily on at the moment and also into next year as well. So strand three is our external kind of strand. Um, and as a school, we have memberships in National College, 
the Charter College of Teaching, Pixel, um, the Borough Opportunities as well. And we have that all for staff to use and, and develop their own profession as well. Strand 4 is obviously our ECTs. Um, we're quite lucky at school this year in the fact that we've got six or seven ECTs, three Teach First teachers, um, and currently six PGCs on their second placement. So it's, it's quite a young, enthusiastic um, staff body with a lot of new teachers coming through, really, as well. Um, but the early careers kind of teachers, obviously, with the increased demands on the mentor this year and coaching, it's going to help us massively in the future if you're trying to embed coaching more in our school. And the fifth strand is around sharing best practice, um, which is something that we're developing continually as we move throughout the year as well. Um, and I'm going to come to talk to that, I suppose, in the next question, actually. So I might leave that strand to one side. But how do we share that approach across the school and, and share that really best practice with our members of staff? So our five strand approach for us, I'm really happy how clear and straightforward it is to follow, I suppose. Um, and it's very visual in our school. People can see it, it's shared with them quite a lot. Um, but again, we're very clear with staff that this isn't a one-year strand model. This is a strand model that exists for a number of years. And as we go through it, um, it will be embedded more and we spend more time, I suppose, in each strand, different focus to really help our staff body. So we're very much at the start of that journey. But um, yeah, very happy at the moment with how it's, how it's turned out and going. There's certainly the variety of options. You mentioned the, the choice for staff. And you mentioned that earlier on. I think that's so important, especially when you're... Um, building on so much evidence and as you said there's so much out there that the teachers also have a choice to go and explore and trial things and, and try things out because that will then inform work that you do in future and kind of sharpening up because I'd imagine that over time your components will you'll be able to have more um, staff get involved in presenting and sharing how it looks in their classroom in their context with year seven children compared to year nine children and and so on um, Really interesting that, especially the, the middle leaders path. The, the work of Adam Robbins is really fascinating, and and I'm really interested in the early early career teachers as well, and because that seems like a fascinating one. It's quite different to what we do here in Scotland, so that sounds incredibly fascinating. And you mentioned there this idea of sharing best practice, because with so much going on, it's important that we do share the, the bright spots in our schools and what's working, um, with with our with our classroom practice. So can I ask you, Alex, how do you share best practice and could you give some examples of, of what you've been doing and presenting so far yeah of course um if i kind of take you back to last year i suppose in lockdown and i was really conscious how when we're all at home on teams how could we have a peek inside each other's classrooms i suppose and see what people are doing to share best practice and one of the initial um, solutions i put together was our expert panel cpd events um essentially in other words this is teachers presenting ideas to other teachers um but I did a bit want to kind of make it seem um, prestigious, I suppose, and something to be part of by calling it expert panel events. Um, and staff members that present in this, we share a poster at school. We have their job titles next to it. We have the session titles, like a kind of a, a proper research ed style conference, I suppose, as well. Um, and that event kind of was based heavily around the principles we put together. Um, so some of the principles link very clearly to sharing best practice. So, for example, this year we had an expert panel CPD event on retrieval and retention where staff around the school presented ideas on how, how or what retrieval looks like in their um, subjects. And that Microsoft form that we put together on the back of the research summary in pre-recorded video, there's always a question at the end after asking their takeaways around would you be willing to present and what would your session title be? Um, and I suppose being a salesman, that's part of our job, really, to, to make sure staff say yes to that and actually want to share best practice and have that leisure opportunity as well. Um, just some examples in those expert panel events, really. Um, our art department use mastery grids for formative assessment to really help students to self-reflect as they go throughout particular projects. 
um, which was really powerful when a head of art presented that as well. Um, our history department very much are heavily using the visualizer at the moment, and they kind of took a lead in the school um, as kind of this vanguard group of how to, to best use that, and they shared that within one of the events as well. Um, in terms of retrieval, our media department, um, they use an approach called recall, term, and trigger. Um, and essentially, recall is a, a short answer question from previous lessons. Term is a short way for terminology, so it's a keyword check. And trigger um, is the retrieval uh, activities or retrieval questions that, that need to be activated for that upcoming lesson. So the most important knowledge they need to think about so they can access that lesson coming up. So the trigger, I suppose, um, in their their, their their memory when they're testing themselves. So that's the approach they took to retrieve, which I thought was really, really interesting. And as a school, we're kind of um, revamping our assessment and feedback policy towards to move, obviously, towards more feedback over marking um, as a number of schools at the moment. And our geography department have kind of taken the lead of whole class feedback. Um, and they did a, a really good session around how they use that in their department. Um, and that kind of influenced directly what we've put into our assessment and feedback policy as well. The second kind of approach we've taken at the moment is that um, we've kind of moved away from the learning walk model at the moment um, because we kind of believe that learning walks sometimes can be done to subjects and not with subject leaders and sometimes can lack um, department uh, kind of specific approaches um, and it focuses more on the score as opposed to su subjects individual development. Um, sometimes occurs in like an isolated part of the school year as well. Actions might not always be implemented and data maybe isn't shared readily with staff body. So I was quite, I was thinking for a number of kind of months around the purpose of learning walks and we've moved towards kind of this curriculum review approach. And I was lucky enough to visit uh, Dustin school um, and, and meet Sam Strickland. They spoke a lot about the curriculum review approach they take. Um, so at the moment, we're going through this process, actually. So we looked at history last week. We're currently going through the art department at the moment, and we're going to see each each department by the end of this academic year, hopefully. Um, and we go through a curriculum review quality assurance. Um, the idea is based around 10 curriculum points, um, alignment, kind of the whole school aims, uh, precise and detailed department intent and vision, the coherence of their curriculum, the consistency in terms of their teaching, the implementation of that curriculum, accessibility, assessments, uh, ambition and challenge, and then the impact of that curriculum. Um, and basically at the moment, we're going through the approach of meeting subject leads, having lesson drop-ins, having summary meetings at the end, and putting together hopefully a really useful report um, for subjects and how they can best kind of own the next steps in their curriculum development as well. Because obviously they've worked really hard recently to map out their curriculum. This is almost the evaluation stage as well. But for me, I suppose on a selfish level, by being part of this and leading on this, is that I can see best practice across the school. And it kind of gives me an idea in my head of where to go for certain points and what departments to use um, uh, kind of when we have a particular focus around expert panel events. So that's been really helpful for me as well. And kind of the next one really is around, we still have a lesson observation kind of style approach at the moment, which um, we're in the process of thinking about whether we move away from lesson observations. Um, and kind of I was lucky enough again to visit Dixon's Trinity Academy in Bradford a few weeks ago, and they've moved more towards a performance drop-in kind of coaching approach, um, which kind of happens during their patrol time um, as well. Um, and staff have performance trackers, and each week they're, they've seen it informally, um, and strength and areas development are put on their tracker by a member of staff who've seen them teach. Um, but with our lesson observations performer we use, there's an, uh, an explicit box um, which says, what have you seen in this lesson that we can use across the school to share best practice? And again, that's really helpful to collate that information and to speak to that staff member about how they can share that more readily 
as well. But obviously our lesson observations are strictly developmental. Um, but again, just by having these different avenues, it means we get a, a really good peek into the classrooms around the school as well um, and how we can use staff to share best practice. On our strand five in the professional development model, there's a lot more options that we plan to use in the future. We're hopefully going to put together um, a newsletter by the end of this year around teacher learning. Uh, and also we're hopefully going to use Microsoft Sway um, to put together a teach learning kind of periodical or a newsletter and have that um, an online approach as opposed to actually having a, a hand copy. Um, you can imagine the printing budget, but obviously putting that together as well. So we're always looking to um, develop our, how we share best practice, how we use staff and promote them as much as possible. But again, we're very much on that journey at the moment um, in moving forward. Certainly, I love the, I love, I love the um, idea behind the expert panel event. It must it'll make you feel brilliant when you're kind of presenting it an expert panel event. I've been an, an expert sharing, but I love the variety you shared there. I mean, art department, history, media, geography. Love what you mentioned about the um, history department leading the way in visualizers and geography and whole class feedback. It really kind of helps departments own the your um, teaching and learning principles and really. Um, take parts in them and, and lead on them as well and I love that um, love to ask you a little bit more about this that bit you mentioned there about your lesson observations by asking the question what have you seen this lesson that can be shared across the school are you finding that people answer that and, and kind of are, are keen to write down this would be great to be shared and great to do this or are you finding people are don't, not quite sure how to answer that yeah, generally it's, it's been fun actually we did a bit of training this year um, kind of I suppose at leadership level as well middle leadership level around what we define a good lesson, that's an effective lesson to look like based upon the principle. So we're slowly starting to build that shared language. We're all looking for similar things as well. And part of that curriculum review process is that um, I put together a document based upon the performers we've got of actually this is what we hope or expect to see departments be talking about in these meetings as well. But um, generally, yeah, all those lesson observation forms have come back to me centrally in the office. And I'm currently going through in that moment um, as well. But actually, yeah, generally the, the responses have been, have been really positive um, as well. And I've tried to steer staff uh, towards, I suppose, concrete things we can use as opposed to just vague terminology, which might be hard to replicate and then use, I suppose, in further training. But um, yeah, we found um, because it's strictly around developmental, the ideas would come in to see what you're doing. That's really, really strong. And we want to use that and share that around all classrooms in the school um, as well. So actually, yeah, um, it's gone quite quite good so far, um, but I need to finish reading all of them before I suppose get a, get a better picture as well. But yeah, being really happy so far of how it's gone. It's certainly such a great question to add in and certainly a good process to do, especially when you're going down this um, developmental route with the lesson observation, because lesson observation can be quite a thorny topic with, with um, going on. But if, if we're using that to really highlight the bright spots in our school, especially as, we're, as you're building on your kind of evidence-informed journey and, and building on your eight components and seeing that would be great, you know, if you see it in a in an RE lesson, you want to share that with people. This is what's happening in our school with our students related to our, our theme this half term this is brilliant we need to go and share this and, and I love that um, so thinking Al you've you've shared so much and, and it's I, I've loved hearing about this um, but I want to ask you Alex uh, uh, where are you planning going next what's happening next with the, the, the development of the school uh, so for us initially the first step is around a coaching model that we want to implement in the school um, because we've not had one for a number of years I suppose that has been shared or worked effectively maybe. So uh, a lot of work around is almost researching different ways of coaching, different models and how we can best implement that into our school as well. Um, alongside, obviously, you mentioned about different strategies of best practice that we're looking to expand upon next year as well. And um, we're putting together next year a curriculum training pathway, hopefully, 
which will link nicely to a curriculum handbook that we currently put together. Um, we've been really conscious this year that because we had a, a, a little bit of curriculum work to do in terms of our documentation, we've worked quite closely with leadership and our middle leaders around curriculum training and curriculum documentation. Um, but we want to expand that to the whole staff body as well to make sure we're all seeing off the same hymn sheet, really, around curriculum, um, the research and theory behind it. So that's kind of one pathway we're going to put into next year as well. Um, and the final thing, actually, and I suppose it's quite a, a small area, really, is um, one of our recent sessions has been around attention and being cognitively active. Um, and so we've got a, a little bit of work and discussions around um, cognitive science uh, and thinking about the idea of revision strategies and learning strategies, which is share with year 11 this year and starting to embed. But um, improving our work, I suppose, around um, cognitive science findings and for me especially, the idea of attention, which I think is so powerful in the classroom. Um, and I shared with staff recently around the idea of displays and having displays at the front of the room could be quite negatively can negatively impact learning because obviously students will pay attention to that more than what you're saying at the front of the classroom um, and just kind of changing mindsets our approach um, I suppose around that as well so yeah um, quite a few things to think about next year moving forward but we believe the basis of foundation is kind of there it's just the next step and how we can really improve that further down the line. And certainly building on that and you mentioned quite a while ago this idea of new teacher induction scheme and I think one of the best kind of um, examples of how your school culture changing is when you start teachers come in and they automatically see like your, how the your eight components and how they play out in practice within their subject within the wider school and the wider school team and I love that note on on attention attention really is um, such such a a determining factor on, on student learning so it's a great one to be focusing on and I can remember speaking to Louis Everett about this idea of being cognitively active and I've heard it come up time and time again it really is um, you're talking about um, memory and retention and so on if, if the students aren't being cognitively active they're never going to give themselves a chance to be able to retrieve any of the information so it's important that they are in lessons um, so that brings us to the end of that discussion um, there Alex I've really enjoyed exploring the, the work that you do and you're so generous in sharing that with people on social media um, so before we go into my final quick fire round the questions I ask every guest can I ask you to share Alex where people can go and find if, if they're, they've been living under a rock and they don't know anything about um, what you've been doing can you please point them in the direction of your social media channels and where they can find um, the resources that you kindly share of course yeah so my Twitter account is um, Mr A W Gordon underscore um, and my blog is Mr. Gordon Teaches and the link can be found in my Twitter account um, as well. Brilliant. I could encourage every listener to go and check that out and keep up to date with what you do because it is so fascinating following your journey from afar. And I've even um, picked your brains a few times myself and because um, I just find it so interesting what you're doing and how you're sharing that with everyone. So we're now going to go on to um, my quickfire round. Alex, these are the questions I ask every guest. Um, of late, it's not been very quick fire, but please take it as you as you please. Um, are you ready for them? So the quick, first one is, uh, what are you reading currently? I actually found this quite a hard question to answer because as teachers, we generally read four, three or four books at once, don't we really? Um, so the the one I'm reading most at the moment is When the Adults Change, Everything Changes by Paul Dix. Um, and when I first started reading it, I was surprised by actually I never really had come across it before um, because it's such a brilliant book and it started to change my mindset as well around routines, culture, behaviour. So, um, yeah, for me, that's that's a brilliant read at the moment. Certainly, it's an important one in terms of the behaviour debate and, and some of the ideas that it gives. So it's great that it's, it's, it's challenging your thinking and giving you some ideas moving forward. I'm looking forward to see how they play out. 
Um, my second question to you is, what is your own current professional development focus? Um, so one of my massive um, kind of focuses this year is obviously being someone who's teaching at the school I used to go to as a student, and it's the only school I've taught in so far in my career. Um, I kind of wanted to get out and about and see other schools in, in practice as well. So I've been quite lucky this year that I've gone to Dustin School. Um, I visited Waterside Academy in Hackney. Um, I've been to Dixon Street Academy in Bradford. Um, and I hope in the future to visit Michaela. And there's a lot of people have done and also got another visit lined up to Castle Mead Academy in Leicester um, as well. So I'm, I'm trying to get out and about and see as many schools as I possibly can and, and share ideas and see different ways of doing things, I suppose, as well. Um, but alongside that, really, and as I said, I, I mentioned the idea of attention, but I'm really keen at the moment to think about um, classroom routines, uh, especially around we don't as a school have shape, slant, natural state, these kind of phrases at the moment embedded within us. So I'm kind of exploring my horizons a little bit more around this idea of culture, routines in the classroom to really um, complement our teach learning work that we're doing as well. Certainly. Thank you so much. And it's so interesting the notes you made there on visiting other schools to see what they do, but it's so important to bring it back to your school and and kind of decide where you are in your own journey and what you can fit in and what maybe isn't relevant for just now, but also how you can make things your own because so many different schools have taken things like, for example, Slam has been, I know that when I spoke to Jack Tavasley Mars, his school used Star and people make it use, I've seen, I've seen another one, I think I've seen ASAP somewhere somewhere else so people just take the same idea but they turn it into their own and make it their own and I, and I love all that it's so fascinating and then great that you get out to go and visit these schools and, and my final question to you then Alex is um, what do you love most about being a teacher? Um, again this seems like a simple question but obviously when, when you approach there's so many different ways um, for me actually when I was thinking about this question I I do really enjoy when I'm, I'm the, the town I'm from, Chinkford, is quite a small town in London. Um, I do really enjoy when I'm walking around Chinkford and you see an ex-student across the road and they say hi to you or they actually want to speak to you. Um, and I suppose for me, it's around those connections you forge with students by through their time in the school, the relationship you build with them in the school um, as well. And the fact, obviously, we are difference makers for for young children with that stable influence in uh, their kind of teenage years as well. So uh, for me, it's... it's it's when you see students outside of school and, and they're happy to see you and they don't walk past you or they don't ignore you. Um, for me, it means you've made a massive difference in their life and they've really appreciated the work you've done um, as well. So, um, yeah, for me, that that's great. No, it certainly is that connection with young people. It's why we get up in the morning yeah. and do what we do. It's why we're sitting here at half past eight on Monday evening Agreed. talking about <laughs> our, um, our, our roles as teaching and learning leads. And it's, yeah. it's it really is. And I love that Um kind of living in you're talking about growing up and living in the local area that you're teaching yeah. it's so it's important and you kind of mentioned earlier about kind of working in the school and <laughs> teach, calling teachers sir and miss and getting used to calling yeah. their first name it shows the kind of the power of what teachers are like Doug Lamov and I noted that in the conversation I had with him you know teachers yeah. that you that live long in your memory and even though yeah. you know their first name long into your adult you still want to call them Mr yeah. Miss Sir and so on but so that that brings us to the end Alex I've really really enjoyed um, picking your brains on what you do as a teaching and learning leader in your school and thank you so so much for giving up your time to come on to Becoming Educated Thank you Dan I've been a massive fan of this podcast for for years so it's been a pleasure to be on and speak to you today Thank you so much for listening to Becoming Educated Before you go can I ask for a few things that will only take a minute I'd love it if you could review the podcast wherever you are listening from to get each episode into more ears. 
If you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash DN Leslie. And finally, to keep the conversation going, please use the hashtag Becoming Educated. Tag me on Twitter at DN Leslie. I'll be back soon with more insights and knowledge from the greatest profession on earth.